Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with our co-host here, let me pull him in, Joshua Morgan, customer advocate at Drift. Typically, of course, we have BDEX's co-founder and CEO, David Finkelstein here, but unfortunately, he's still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. So our hearts go out to everyone impacted by the devastation caused by the hurricane. Today's guest, let me bring him in here, is Jesse Owlette. Thanks so much for being here, Jesse Owlette. He is the founder of Lead Magic. Real quick, Lead Magic has two core SaaS products for B2B sales marketing teams. It's 100% self-service SaaS trial and credit card. Um, and it helps you know, with the anonymous B2B traffic that you're getting on your website so that your team can call, email, engage, um, and run better marketing ads. So um, Lead Magic's customers, I was reading, Jesse, they, they say that you're more accurate than Clearbit on B2B data and that you know, they love to sync with you with Google Analytics and for segment installations. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting into some of these topics we have. Um, for those of you who didn't hear our last episode with Jesse, because this is his second time on this podcast, could you please just start from the beginning, Jesse, and tell us your story also, could you please tell listeners a little bit more about Lead Magic and how you're helping people there? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Great to be back with uh, Jesse, you and uh, Josh. Great to talk to you again. Uh, so, yeah. So I was a sales rep uh, as an enterprise sales rep. I was on. I always really loved marketing, though. Um, you know, I was a top performing rep, but I also was very much about using data in marketing. So. I had basically uh, really good access to first party intent data, really through the WordPress website. And I was very good at figuring out who was on the website. So there was one day I was just kind of, you know, hey, I got to go try something new here, right? I started to see some of the trends that were happening where uh, enterprise software, I was selling kind of Fortune 50, you know, top, you know, three, $4 million ARR type deals. And I decided to go pivot and go more towards the, uh, you know, $249 uh, credit card uh, monthly recurring revenue opportunities. Uh, just was more of my passion. I was just kind of getting sick of that uh, world. And, uh, you know, I just really wanted to make a move. So during COVID, I learned how to kind of write, build software. And I knew I had already had some special kind of technology background to know how to do this. And I built that up and now it's growing. Uh, and I'm also adding on other uh, data products around it and some other things. So hopefully that's good background there. Well, Jesse, I am like stoked to like, like visit with you on this on this episode because we you know we've chatted back and forth and and kind of built up a relationship over you know when I started pivoting and you kind of like there was you just have so much knowledge and not just knowledge it's like applicable knowledge to kind of like best practices and so I know I leaned on you a lot when I was looking to pivot into you know kind of my own getting into SaaS and what so whatnot so huge thank you for that so man. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of talk. I have a couple questions here, but let's start with the first one on like the server side tracking kind of open, open pixel and Google analytics and like talk about a minute for like server side tracking, what it is, why it exists and how, like, how should businesses be using it? Yeah. So what, what's really starting to happen is if you think about the way that your browser and, and everything works, 
you know, what's getting blocked, right, is your ability to track the third party, uh, you know, cookies on the website. And that's coming through the client side, right? So there's, whoops, there's kind of two uh, areas that you can kind of look at in terms of your, your browser. You have uh, cookies that are coming from the client and the browser, and then there's server side. And that's when you're doing like forms or you're, you're submitting kind of, uh, you know, passwords or, or like authentication to the other side. And what what's kind of happening now is this, you know, the way that these analytics, the way that the analytics work, the way that these systems work, it's really starting to become more like a web application. So you have, you know, engineers are starting to get involved. It's really, you know, there's quite a bit of work that needs to be done. And, and I'm seeing there's a little bit of a gap with a lot of the different marketing teams. I'm yeah, sure. Like, marketing is definitely yeah. more of a technical yeah. thing these days. You know, people think creative, um, but there's a lot of steps in there that a lot of marketers aren't considering these days. Absolutely. And really to get a good, so you, you want to, what's really nice about having, you know, the server side tracking working is, is really going to, it's going to change. It, it's going to change your ability to be able to kind of store data longer uh, you're, you're kind of less, you know, obviously if you work with Facebook and you're doing it on the client side, you're only get you only get like seven days right now with, you know, with the way that you can do it with server side tracking, you can kind of get the full GDPR, which is like 365. Uh, and then also just this conversion data where you're matching uh, the server data and the client data together, that match rate goes way up. And remember those, that's really where they're looking for you to kind of come in and provide them uh, the proof that you really do know these people, right? These are known audiences. And I think where it's getting interesting though, is like, you know, you were talking about is the technical side of it really. And you have to, with, with Google or, or if you yeah. go Google tag manager, you have to really look and you have to set up a domain. It has to be on your domain. Like there's a lot of security implications, but once you get it set up, it's a whole new world because like you've been a big advocate, Jesse, for first party mm -hmm. privacy, Absolutely, you own the data, right? And that's, what's so sure. fascinating about it, right? It's your data. And that's why people, you know, you're, you can kind of protect yourself there. I mean, still probably makes sense to work with Google there, but uh, some people aren't right. They've kind of gone away from that, but I'll pause there. But I think that's a good kind of initial overview. Well, and I, I think I think that's good because it's it's building that kind of trust. But and and I'm not I think we're seeing more people that are like very cautious because we've seen all the the breaches and everything like that. But, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of us, especially up until recently, like you like it'll drop down, like especially with the cookies and stuff, it'll say, can we track all your information? Will you just like give us all the information, including your like your firstborn child? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Let me let me just give you give you all that. And then, you know, so now we're seeing a lot more kind of like justifiable paranoia uh, to where people are a lot more cautious um, about giving out that information. Yeah. And what, what the benefit, the real benefit of the server side is the fact that the data can be transferred encrypted right over the browser. It you really have some challenges there, right? Because remember when you're on a browser, it's not just your pixel, it's all of the other pixels that are installed on that website. So if you think about it, when you're on a website, you know, there's a, you know, and I, I laugh, you know, you look at some of these websites, they have, they might have 30 or 40 other pixels now. Mm -hmm. Whatever data. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so what, what's happening is the really, really strong kind of analytics, uh, they're, they're getting really good with this server side 
where they can control the rules a little bit more. What, you know, you're protecting your, your customers' privacy, you're protecting everything because you don't, you know, if you're using, it doesn't really matter what MarTech software you're using, if they have access to run JavaScript on your webpage, they can watch every other action that's happening on that page, right? So uh, you're kind of entrusting all your vendors to kind of keep it good too. And that's why you have all of these, it's very confusing to people. It's like being in a, a noisy room and everybody can listen. Right. So hmm. um, a lot of it that way. But yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And this is obviously like we, we work from a, um, uh, we have, uh, we, we do use a, a pixel on our, our product where people put it on their site. So we, we do have that ability, but what, what really is interesting is we'll put it in a lot of our customers are putting it inside segment and then they run analytics on it and they can have all of the data kind of matched against their other workflow. So they've got a real true picture of who's on their site. Um, you know, but it, it just, just, it takes a lot more technology now, I think is the, the takeaway. So speaking, uh, speaking of pixels, because, you know, getting into this, this industry and some of these terminologies a little bit newer. And so the very first time I heard the word pixel, I thought of my phone because I'm a pixel, like I have a pixel phone and I'm like, what, what is like, what does this have to do with? What we're talking about, you know? But so like, what is an open pixel? And like, can you can you break down where marketers are failing um, with Google Analytics, Facebook Analytics and, and LinkedIn? Yeah, sure. So what the, pic the, the, the pixel is, is really it's a way it's a transport device. So uh, what you can do with it is it's powerful, right? So it's really the brains of the operation, but it's not happening there, right? What it's doing is it's taking back the information to the, uh, to the, the, the environment that the, the company has, right? The ad, um, the vendor that, that's collecting it, right? So if it's a Facebook pixel, then what's happening is it's coming back. Now, the pixel can be kind of part of your website and it has to kind of report back on events. But there's also another thing going on where every one of these pixels you have slows down your web page, right, on some level. So you yep. have to really understand what it's collecting and you have to understand when you need it to do uh, like fire off so you, uh, you know, you can get the right information back to wherever you're trying to collect it. So if it's Facebook, you know, you want to do these retargeting, remarketing campaigns and, and get that back. But I think where it's just an image, right? Like, so, well, I mean, it could be an image. It could also be part of JavaScript. Um, it could be a JavaScript kind of uh, layer. It also could be built into a mobile uh, application kind of like deployed inside, which is another whole world too. But there's, there's multiple vehicles that they kind of deliver this to you. The, I mean, we started, it's in the email, right? Like your email pixel, that's the same pixel that could be on your website, right? A one-by-one one image that you're downloading, that's a blank image. And when you download that, you're giving away a lot of information. You're getting, because you have to, your, your computer is making a connection to their uh, first, you know, that's the first party data that they can collect on you. And then, um, you know, when you're on their website, they can run JavaScript in your browser. So that's the, you know, that, that's really where the, some of this stuff comes into play. All good stuff. Absolutely. Um, what do you guys think? Should we transition into the next topic? Because we could honestly talk. Did we get into like, we talked about Google Analytics Pixel. There's also a Facebook Pixel. There's also a LinkedIn Pixel. Um, did we get into that as much as we were hoping to? 
Well, I think the only thing I'd say is like what I'm finding now is a lot of companies actually don't have it installed right or they don't have they forgot to install it. Right. You know, I'll tell you right now, my only takeaway here is if you're marketing, if you're a marketer, whatever you're doing, just install everything right now on your site and try to make it fast. It doesn't matter if you're running ads or not. Start collecting the audience. Start doing that. If you have any plans of doing it, just get everything on your site, get it fast and make sure that it runs get it back to the, the platforms. Obviously there, there's some, there's value in collecting the audience early, right? Absolutely. It doesn't, it's not like getting better. Even if it's it. just an IP address and you don't have that email yet, but once you get that email, you can track it all back to like who that was. Right. Yeah. They, they, you have to have certain level, certain fields to be able to track back. Mm-hmm. That, I think um, there are some companies that would take what you said, install it all like too hard. I was looking at some accounts today and whereas like the relevant tech and sales force, like it's, it's a mile long, like they have everything installed and I'm just like, good Lord. And, and so, and I kind of said this before on a previous um, episode was it really surprises me how many companies there are for all these different little like, thing you know nuances that we need rather than some companies coming out and going well this is this company offers this this company offers this and i I know like you know the more you specialize the better you are in that one area but it seems like there aren't more companies that are almost like a um, swiss army knife to where they are right yeah all yeah all in one solution yeah that's the ideal world my opinion is an all-in-one solution Yeah, you want that. You definitely want that. And I'm seeing this more, um, but it's hard because of the, um, you know, you might, you know, I was looking at this with marketing uh, technology. I have a, you know, I have a marketing automation product that I'm using a lot. Uh, The second I wanted to go kind of put, and I like it, everything was good. It was great. But the second I wanted to go install it on segment, they obviously have like some sort of fee. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll go look at the market again. And, you know, I've, I've found something I'm looking at now and I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll switch off. You know, it's one of those things where I think if you, um, it, it just depends. It has to be a big reason to switch off. But if you also, I think one other thing is if you centralize, you know, even look at Snowflake, right? Like if you're starting to build a customer data platform, that's where I see the really top organizations, they kind of view it. They start to, they realize that the, they need a cloud data store. And they're looking at pseudo kind of like anonymous people that are coming to their site. They're starting to look at every persona that's coming to their site, but they don't know who they are, right? They might know some attributes about them. But I think that's a really interesting group that, you know, the people who understand that and you you can't just store that. It doesn't go in your CRM, right? <laughs> um, it's it's below your CRM. I mean, it's, or it's, it's a bigger, you know, every single thing on your website gets tracked. Like they move the mouse, right? Like you need every single part of it in your, you need a much larger data store. So that's kind of like where I think a lot of people are going, you know, look at Snowflake with Salesforce and that whole thing going on right now. That's kind of like where a lot of people are putting their customer data. It's good stuff. BDEX is a proud partner of Snowflake. So I'll make that plug there. We are fans. Um, But I'm going to transition now into bulk email because I could talk about this all day. Um, But, you know, Jesse, so you like if you're watching this and you or maybe you hear it later on our podcast, definitely search Jesse Owlette on LinkedIn and follow him because he drops so much knowledge about email that, I mean, I'm continuously learning from you every day. 
But, you know, I'm always shocked, Jesse, by the number of businesses who just don't know the basics of bulk email sends. Um, so like whether it's, you know, mark on the marketing side or more of like a, uh, you know, people who've opted into marketing emails or even on the sales side where we're doing outbound at scale. Um, let's, you know, start with the basics, if you don't mind, and talk about, you know, well, when to send a marketing sure. email, you know, and when to send a cold outbound email. And then let's dive deeper mm -hmm. into, you know, deconstruct how data plays a part into a successful email campaign. But, you know, it's not the only thing that makes it successful. There's also creative. There's also this deliverability thing we're dealing with. So um, take it away, Jesse. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you really what's happening. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, users have clearly stated that they want a better inbox experience, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that you get that better inbox experience is you give them more of things they want at the top, right? Mm -hmm. So what they're doing now is obviously it's around, it's around behaviors, right? So if you think about what a sales team might be doing is, you know, they get it, they get, they get your classic sequencer. Mm -hmm. They start to, um, they start to basically work inside their sales team and they're sending, you know, maybe a hundred emails per, per person times the number of SDRs and they're getting a 1% response rate. And probably they're not cleaning their data. So they're sending invalid emails, right? Like, a marketer would cry. They're, out, right? they're yeah. not doing validation and the, and the tools don't have it built in because they just, that's just not what they do. And then they come back and they're like, well, Hey, now I'm getting like a 0.001 and I'm getting a 20% open rate. So now they're completely squelched. And what's the really eye opening thing for me is when I really broke it down was your SDR team. A lot of the times is your biggest contributor to your company's domain reputation now. If you've got a team of like five to 10 people and you're like a series C or below, right? Like, like maybe four or 500 people in the company, because think about it, they're sending five to 700 emails a week, maybe on that team. That is a lot of emails and none of them are coming back with, with a strong response rate, right? Three to 5% right. is a good campaign. Yep. So this is and where to be clear, when you're talking about the stuff that SDRs would be doing, because we have a lot of B2C audiences, too, that, you know, aren't necessarily looking at outbound email or, or, or have SDRs on the team. It's sales development representative and they're doing outbound cold emails. Um, and so this is all one to one, but at scale. Um, so just want to make that quick clarification, too. Yeah. And it's it, where the so this is this this is where it's really painful is it's all being held at the domain level and the IP level. Now, the IP level, remember, you can kind of ignore that because everybody's using Google, everybody's using Microsoft, and everybody's using Zoho. So those are like the three. So you don't have to worry about the IP getting blocked, but you do have to worry about the domain getting blocked. Yeah, definitely. Or just getting, yeah, totally burnt. And then, you, you know, you can send, and that's what you don't want to have happen, right? To your primary domain. Yes. Uh, marketers know this because, you know, we are constantly trying to get people to subscribe to our list so that they want to receive our content. So when we do right. send them, which when we're sending it, you know, with from a marketing email, it's HTML. As you were talking about earlier, we're tracking everything. So we're asking you to open it up typically in HTML so you can see images, um, but you've opted in. So you want to see that. But for those other types of emails where people haven't opted into your brand, like, and here's the thing is like, even if you run it through a can spam and you verify it, like, so you purchase a list, like I said, run it through can spam, you verify it's as good as it's going to get. You absolutely can email them. But even if you can, 
doesn't mean you necessarily should. So this is where I see marketers getting into troubles because they'll go out and, you know, buy a list. They'll they'll get it, you know, completely cleaned up, run it through the can spam, make sure it's like totally legal to send to. Um, but people aren't familiar with their brand. You know, they're not a major brand like Walmart or like Geico or something. So mm-hmm. they're going to be like, I didn't subscribe to this. Um, so like marketers get in trouble with this just like, you know, outbound SDRs do on, on B2B side, um, B2C marketers, you know, sometimes they, if it's a smaller B2C company, they may not have an email expert there. So they think, okay, we'll just import this into MailChimp and we'll send it. Next Mm -hmm. thing we know, boom, that email domain, it no longer works. And sometimes the unfortunate thing is, is it's your primary domain and, you know, then people, you know, will want to blame the the data or the creative, but there's a lot more going on here that people just aren't paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, they're doing everything they can do to keep you out of that scenario. Like they're like, even to your marketing automation software, they're explicitly like, I mean, they're blocking people, banning people from the platform, like making you sign stuff that says you'll never email anybody that didn't opt in. I mean, it's, it's a painful experience right now. Oh, and I'm not sure if either one of you run into this. This is something I ran into the other day where, and this was a a, a customer that said, yes, if you, I will be a referenceable contact for you for prospective customer. So he's saying, yes, if you need me for this, you know, email me and I'll respond. So I email and like the, like the response was, I don't recognize your email address. And if you want this to deliver, you need to go donate $2 to like this charity fund. (laughs) Yeah, this is a a funny one. And I have an interesting take on this one here. Um, And you might want to call it, this might be an unpopular opinion, but um, so there's, there is, there are services out there, right? There's a couple services. I think there's one particularly where, they're they're basically responding to you right so they're they're trying to like respond to you they're trying to get that inbox clean whatever it's a rule basically that's doing that the company takes a 30 percent uh cut of the 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 money of course and then they give the rest of it to the charity of the person who's getting the emails now there's one thing i want to ask you you both if you were a robot and you were a spam filter (laughs) and you were looking at emails and you were saying okay this person responded to my email. Is that a positive or negative response? Positive. Right. They respond. So that's the goal. Right. So a, a goal, a response in that particular situation, is that helping or hurting? I mean, like this, I'm just like purely facts, purely data. I think you could probably leap to the argument that you might actually be contributing to spam. Like if somebody's spamming you, you're better off putting a report as spam in the actual email, right? You're better off doing the report as spam. That's why it's there. However, if you circumvent that process and you write back or you, you email them back, a couple things happen. That person on the other end can report you as spam, number one. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, think through it a little bit, right? You got to kind of go deep. What type of signal is that sending to that person that's emailing your company? Right. So now they've got access to email people in that company because that person's writing back. 
So, you know, I would, what I'm trying to get at here. If I were a spam filter, I would say that person's good. I'm going to let their message go through. Yeah. Well, you would be, so the challenge is I don't think there's an integration with the report as spam, right? If it's spam, you don't respond. You click report as spam. You don't responding gives a different message to the spam filters and you know, everyone, but we're, we're basically creating more spam for charity, right? Like, I mean, that's what we're kind of doing with this. And, and look, I think there's good intentions here. So I think I hopefully, but you know, people have asked me my opinion on this, this strategy. Like, I, I don't know, like when I get spam and it's bad, I, I report it. That's, that's how you get rid of spam. Right. Cause then more people report it. It tells the learning algorithm, the machine learning model to stop sending me emails like this that person has a domain reputation issue and then they can't send emails anymore. That's what you do with spam, right? You don't respond back with a link that says, here's my uh, credit card form. Because if you do that, you're giving a signal back to the spam filter to say, you know what I mean? So you just got to right. kind of think through the, the, the nuances of the system here. I but don't think people think, I think that's probably yeah. an unpopular opinion just because it's, it's a new, yeah. it's a new idea. I mean, I love charity and everything, right? I, I think charity is a good thing, but look, I'm telling you, like, you know, you're, you're, you're actually doing the exact dead opposite of what we really want to be doing with spam is marking it spam, right? You don't want to like, I mean, I know a lot of people like this. They're, they think their inbox is coming back, but what you're doing is you're actually creating more spam for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. You're actually creating spammers and it's a war, you know, it ends up becoming almost a warm up network for, for, for spammers because they start emailing these people, they get in, now they can email anybody in your company because they've already gotten a response back from your domain. And now you're, you're, I mean, you're talking, I mean, look, I'm just talking about facts. We're not talking about any emotions. Like obviously charities are involved here. I'm not, I I love the charities. I've seen some of them, they're great charities. I think the company wants to do really good things, but I'm a little worried about it, right? I think that that's a bad, like you can't circumvent the spam filters. Like there's a mail flow system and that's where it's gotta be. And I think for companies to try to profit on that, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm confused by it, but you know, hey, I'm confused by a lot of things in the, today's day. It's a new world, yeah. And I'm yeah. guessing that in particular, this is in, in regard to like tools like Gated um, that will basically allow people to um, put up a, a filter that if someone emails them, it's like if you want to actually email me, you got to donate to whatever cause I put out there. So, um, well, and I, and I will new- say. Um, like if you like that, that's the very first like boom. This is gated. Boom. If yeah. you want to like, it's it was two bucks. It's not you know I don't recognize. Did you pay it, it Josh? Uh, no, I uh, no, I, I did not. So if you're a cold emailer, I recommend not paying it. And I don't, yeah, I don't believe in charity. That's other people in the account because now your account's warm in that account, and you can easily email other people in that account now because you're getting responses from the CEO or whoever yeah. the executive is. So you can now email everybody in that company. If you're a cold emailer, like go right ahead, fair game, find the, find the person who's running that software and then just start emailing everybody in the company. Yeah. Well, and I, and I will say like, it was kind of intimidating because of the way it was there and you're like, okay, let me just back off. But then if you take a minute and you read kind of towards the bottom, it said, mm-hmm. but if you want this delivered 
anyway, like this is legitimate, like you're not a bot then click here. And so then you can go ahead and deliver it. But it was like, it was like cutting, you know, obviously the bot's not going to be smart enough to like, you know, read through it and go, Oh, let me click here. Well, even and most people don't read through everything. Let's, let's be well, I've, I've heard yeah. a lot of chatter about some of the sequencing technologies that are out there. They're going to start to look at this, this opportunity. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for optimization for, for cold email uh, professionals, people who develop leads with, with systems like this, right? So they're going to look at this and say, how do we take advantage? I mean, this they look for the loopholes, right? Growth, right? So they're going to look at this system and they're going to say, how do we, how do we up, you know, monetize this, right? Like that's, you just can't play with the, the mail flow is controlled by the, it, I mean, email is like not, you know, unfortunately, there's some tech companies have kind of really gotten control of it because of the way that how many people are on their inboxes. But, you know, you can't really let email email is like the sacred part. It's a, it's a protocol. It's not a it's not a web application. This isn't like social media, like Twitter or LinkedIn. This is a protocol, Internet protocol that every single, you know, person on the Internet uses. And, and I mean, anybody who's using the Internet, I mean, it's been around since the 60s. Right. So you have to think, think through this problem where you're now creating emails to people who understand spam filters. They're going to start emailing everybody in your company now. Right. Like yeah. it's working in reverse. That's the problem. I mean, yeah. All right. You're getting two bucks to your charity. But look, I'm just I just look at the data. I'm not I have no interest in talking about anything else other than just the facts. Right. So. Um, but that's one of the things that I've kind of set, said a few times that I think it's a risky uh, strategy, if you, if, you, if you have to ask me. Absolutely. You have to follow the facts and data. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you think about, um, I'd love to hear about Jesse's tech stack. We get into this with every guest. I don't think we got into this last time. And Josh, you always introduced this one. I think <laughs> like the one to five, like. Uh, yeah. So Airtable's my favorite lately. Um, Airtable. Okay. Yeah. Google Sheets and Airtable. I've always loved both of them. I mean, there's 3 billion people that use uh, Google Sheets and Airtable is great too. I, you could pretty much do anything you need to in Airtable. You could run your entire CRM. You could run your entire sales engagement platform in Airtable. Every single thing you do in your day can be done in Airtable. Oh, right. All right. You're, I mean, everything is is that um, Notion's starting to become that way. With they've now got API and all that. Um, what other tools are are really big in my life right now? I really like Pipe Dream. Uh, it's a low code application. It's kind of like extreme extreme version of Zapier. Definitely a higher learning curve, but if you're good at Zapier, you can kind of use Pipe Dream. Um, okay. And obviously Slack. I really still. I've always. I never really like Slack from a chat perspective. Uh, but I really like it from an automation and alerts perspective. I think it's really good there. Definitely. Yeah. We use that at VDEX for some different. Yeah. I, don't, I yeah. pretty much can't stand the chat part of it, but the alert <laughs> is nice, actually. I just like turn off the chat part of it. But uh, it just reminds me of like an old AOL chat room. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, what it is. Cool. Um, and then um, I'd say the other stuff that I like. Um, if, if I had to go, like, obviously, like, the, the markdown stuff's getting pretty impressive, like the Notion. And, uh, mm -hmm. We did deploy ClickUp. Uh, we like ClickUp. ClickUp. Yeah. yeah. We do uh, like ClickUp. And we dump, uh, we, we like Monday.com, but we just felt that ClickUp was kind of going the right direction. And um, we kind of evaluated both of them. And, you know, we're not that big of a customer, so I don't think it really matters to either one of them. But, um, but you know, I think that's kind of what we've done. And um, 
the other one I like, I just can't stand their, um, the way that they're going to market. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Uh, I like front app a lot. I really do from an email perspective. It's just, I, I don't know why they put their, they got an annual plan on there and they want, you know, it's hmm. the classic talk to sales. And I'm like, can I just pay for it? I just don't want to get on a call. Mm, <laughs> just yeah. send me the bill and I'll buy it. But I, I just can't. Self-serve. Oh, they want to talk to sales. I don't know what I got. It's just give me a credit card for them. I'll buy it right now. You know, you know uh, that reminds me, there was a, there was a software I wanted to use in the classroom. And uh, I was, I was willing to pay the price because I was so impressed with, with the software. Um, and so, and then it was like, if you want to purchase this software, like go talk to sales. I'm like, can I see what a price is? Can I, and then it, they like, I thought like, okay, let me just go ahead. And so I, I reach out to them and they're like, yeah, we don't sell individual plans. It has to be the entire school district has to, has to use it. And I'm like, can, but I like, can I just purchase this for personal use? And they were like, <laughs> not allowed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. It's hard. It's hard when you, when you, you know, the, the ones I'm getting, the ones that weird me out a little bit, there was a, there's been a, I, I watch product hunt every single day. Um, like every day I love watching to see what's coming out. Product hunt. Yeah. I mean, that's where a lot YouTube of YouTube show. No product hunt is a, um, it's kind of like, um, it's like, there's probably 30 companies that are 30 some of them are indie, like whatever, but like they're building things and product hunt every single day is launching. Like you go on product hunt, you launch your product 20, like there's usually like 20 to 25 people that launch something on there every single day oh. and they get ranked. Right. Nice. Uh, but a lot of companies have made their, their, their mark on there. And, and really what it is, is there's just a lot of tools. People make like different growth hacking tools or different like growth marketing tools or docs or templates or whatever and then you upvote them and it's like a contest whoever gets the oh, top. that's cool yeah but that's where there's a lot a lot of these tools launched on product hunt so um the ones i don't like are the ones where you got to go in and then they say like request demo because wow. i know there's going to be somebody like me when i was in sales on the other <laughs> side of it where i'm just like trying to block you for as long as i possibly can charge you as much money as i possibly can i'd ra rather avoid that whole process that i was part of and created and i apologize by the way but uh, you know that was a process i was doing definitely um we hear that but uh we got through our three topics i can't believe it unless there's anything else you guys want to add i'm going to go ahead and start closing out the show wait i got a question for jesse okay all right all right so you taught yourself some coding because you like are you like really honestly for how grassroots you are you know like very very like you and one other person um have created a very very successful product that is in some ways rivaling some products from companies with these multi-million even billion dollar budgets which is like incredibly impressive so coming from the coding standpoint what would you say are the best languages for somebody to learn that wants to start creating their own product or even wants to get into the whole like software engineering for a SaaS company like Food Chain. Uh, JavaScript, React, probably. Okay. Um, because you know it's Python or JavaScript, probably right. Those would be the two. But I think there's also an opportunity. The other opportunity that's gotten created is you don't necessarily need to be able to code, right? And I think this is where 
Now, I, I get the I get the whole right. I, I understand the no code and where where you can use it. And then there's the low the low code side, right? There's like the the jet admins of the world and like the other ones that are out there for low code. Pipe Dream is low code. Um, you know, app. Uh, there's a bunch of them, right? Bubble Bubble is a low code app, right? And that's right. But I would say what you want to do is get out to market and start start turning a profit, right? Start, like there's another mindset that's coming out. I mean, you were watching these layoffs happen in real time right now, right? It's kind of weird, right? We're kind of like the other night, people were predicting what was the next company that was going to lay people off. That was a little bit of a weird scenario, almost like a fantasy SaaS, you know, layoff show, right? And it's really sad. You don't want that to happen. But like, I think this is going to generate another and, you know, another group. And if you think about it, maybe what, how much percentage of the, the world's population can code? However, if you're able to extend that knowledge and you can get people out of these MVP processes, you're going to get a you're going to unlock a group of sales and marketing professionals that possibly couldn't have done this five years ago when the the, the, the no code wasn't as good. I mean, now you could literally launch a SaaS company and product with a paywall and a full onboarding process, just like any of the other technologies in probably 24 hours, right? And you wouldn't have to know how to code uh, and you could roll it out pretty quick. Uh, and this is gonna create a lot of interesting parts. Now, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's the same app, right? Right. But, you know, it, it's not that hard to serve up content on the other side of it. And I think everybody's starting to understand the recurring revenue model. You don't have to explain it to anybody anymore, why it's a good, thing for everybody that's involved on the business side. Uh, but, you know, I think this is going to start happening. You're going to start to see brands, right? Like, let's say big brands, they're going to start to be uh, like personal brands, right? Like, I mean, let's look at like a Justin Welsh. I mean, he could create a learning platform. Yes. It's not that hard. He'd hire, he could hire a team of developers and they would have this thing rolled out for probably under $10,000 and it could probably be as good as Kajabi. You know, I, I hate to minimize what the, what's going on there, but I, mean, I think he's sponsored by Kajabi now. But still, like, I, I look at this and I'm like, it's going to change because all this code is written already. Like, it's mm -hmm. already in GitHub. You just have to compile it and figure out how to use it and go learn how to build a paywall. That's what I could tell you. That's the number one thing you can go figure out right now. Go yeah. figure out how to build a paywall and put some content behind it. And now you're a SaaS founder. <laughs> there you have it from Jesse Owlette himself. Um, can't thank you enough, Jesse. Um, but in closing, are you on Spotify listeners? Um, if you prefer an audio format, this will be on Spotify. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, several others. Head over to vdex.com. You can find them all. Also, if you find deconstructing data interesting, you might like checking out vdex's Omni IQ. So you can visit bdex.com to find this button, but I'm also just going to like drop a QR code here that if you are watching, like scan that QR code, check out OmniIQ. Jesse, I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out. It is like primarily consumer data. I know you're primarily working with B2B data. Um, but if you upload a CSV, then you can get complimentary analytics on gender, birth year, and household income. Um, and better understand your first party customer data. And then, you know, we can work with you to help you 
basically extend that exact audience. You understand them and then you expand that audience um, and go out and target them on all the different platforms out there with a first party data strategy. So um, yeah, it would be awesome if you guys all check that out, upload your CSV files and also share your feedback. You know, it's a new product like customer feedback is driving this, which I'm sure is driving lead magic too. That's kind of the great thing about Definitely. being a small company is that like when you have customers share feedback, then we can actually like make those changes and like take what you say seriously. Like we're not, you know, as, as you say, Jesse, big sass around here, you know? So we would love to hear from listeners. Please send any and all feedback to info at vdex.com. Share your qualitative data with us so we can make this better for you. But thank you all so much for be, being here, and we hope to see you again next week. Definitely. All right. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'm going to play an outro video here if I can find it. All right. Bye.